We are continuing uh, in our series we started last week called Seven Questions, Seven Big Questions from God's Heart to Yours. You know, questions are a, are a powerful teaching tool. Um, questions got, get us to kind of examine our own beliefs, get us to kind of think about what, what assumptions we're making. Uh, questions may stop us in our track of, of doing something wrong. Uh, that's sort of like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, those questions get us kind of uh, woken up a little bit and so we can do uh, what we're supposed to do. Gets us maybe even to inspire some positive change in our lives. So we're looking at seven questions that God asks. Uh, and of course, there's many questions through Scripture. You'll see where God is asking questions of his people for their own good. Today's question is really actually, I'm cheating a little bit because it's two questions. Uh, we're going to ask two questions today, and um, this is, all right, I've got to say this, that it comes from one of those Bible episodes that's kind of inappropriate. A little bit of, uh, I don't know, should this really be in the Bible? One of those stories, I mean, it's not, you know, gruesome or graphic in, an, in a way like that, but... If you've ever wondered if the Bible is really true, and if you've ever wondered if these characters are real people, let me just say it this way. If the Bible was made up, there wouldn't be so many terrible people. If you're making up a story about something, you want your heroes to be glossy perfect. And you want things to like be sort of flawlessly presented this is a messy story of messy, dysfunctional people, and there are heroes. Go figure. If you ever felt like, you know, my life's a little too much of a mess for God to really ever do something, well, I'd like to introduce, to, introduce you to Abram and Sarai. Um, and if you've ever thought, you know, I'm kind of too old to really do something important for God, let me tell you this. So there's a guy named Abram. And his family, his father's family, moved uh, from Ur, way down in, in what would today be Iraq, and moves across up through you know Babylon, and they stop at Haran. And while in Haran, God speaks to this man named Abram. Abram is 75 years old when he hears from God. Ever felt like you waited a long time to hear from God? 75 years old, and God says, pack up and get moving. And I want you to move on. And so he does. So he, he takes his, his wife, Sarai. They've got no children, but he's wealthy. And so he's got flocks and herds and slaves. And he's a wealthy man. And his nephew, his nephew's name is Lot. You've, if you're familiar with the Bible, you may have heard about him before. And they move on down to the, what's the, what we would today say is the promised land. Or what's called Canaan, number three. And then he goes eventually goes to Egypt, number four, back to to the sort of land of Canaan, Hebron, number number five. And we're going to pick up the story shortly after that. And what happens in, I, I believe it's in chapter 14, God reveals himself to Abram and he says, I've got a promise for you, Abram. You are going to be the father of many nations. You are going to have so many descendants. It's going to be like the stars in the sky and of course, this is the days before light pollution when you could actually see the stars in the sky, right? It's going to be like the sand on the seashore. Now, that's a lot. That's how many offspring you're going to have. And Abram says, well, 
That's a good promise, but one problem. I ain't got no kids. And we're kind of getting up there. So I'm just going to give everything that I own to my main servant, my household manager. And you're going to have to do this through him. And God says, no, no, no I'm going to do this through you. Well, that's a good promise. Doesn't quite make sense to Abram. And some time has gone by and we are going to pick up the story in Genesis 16 because I don't know if you've ever been promised something and then it took a long time to get that promise through and you start thinking, well, maybe I need to make this happen. Maybe I need to do something about this. It's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to push through. We're just going to, you know, someone said they were, they were going to come through for you and they, and they aren't. And so you just go and make your own arrangements and, and then it kind of didn't work out very well. Well, that's kind of what's going to happen. So if you've got a Bible, I'd like you to find Genesis chapter 16. And out of respect for God's word, we like to stand together here at Bethany Church. If you're, if, uh, as you're able to stand for Genesis chapter 16, it begins at verse 1. And it says this, now Sarai, that's Abram's wife, and I will say this, Later on, they're going to be renamed Abraham and Sarah. So if you're thinking, are these the same people? Yes, same people. But right now they're called Abram and Sarai. They had not been able to bear children. And uh, Sarai had not been able to. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar or Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. Okay, so remember I said this is dysfunctional? This is a dysfunctional family. And so Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. So now we've got fighting in this family. We've got tension. We've got blaming. We've got accusations. This is a messy family. But there are heroes. Don't forget that. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. And Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Well, verse 7 says this, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Verse 11. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. And thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. And she also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well, the water where she had been discovered, 
uh, that well sheep was named Ber Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So, verse 15, Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Well, we thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Wow. Lots of problems with this story, aren't there? Lots of problems. We've got slavery. That's a no-no. We've got unsanctioned sexual relations. That's a no-no. We've got this foreign sort of marriage. That was forbidden by God later on, for sure. You wonder, did this relationship between Hagar and Abram actually develop into like, you know, did they actually like being together? Well, she was somehow between, I mean, her relationship was sort of separating Abram and Sarai. It's really, really messy. It's really messy. There are times you need to understand that the Bible says things that happen. It's description, describing. It's not prescription, not prescribing what to do. It's just saying, here's what happened. Not saying do this. We're just telling you, here's what happened. And it's a messy situation. And yet, here's God in this story, full of what? Grace and mercy and kindness and justice. But he's got all of that in the middle of the story. God continues to love these people and extend His kindness to them in the midst of all this. So, if you're at all like me, you know, when I, when I look at a story, um, I like to look for what's right and what's wrong. I, I like to find a hero that I can like, whoo, yay, hero. And I like to find a villain like, ooh, bad villain. That's a good story. Like, ah, the hero wins and the villain gets, well, you know, we all like a good guy and a bad guy, but what do you do when you read a story when there are no good guys? And they're all bad guys. So it's, it's a little bit like last year's election, really. Um, who do you vote for? So I shouldn't say those things. Sorry. Strike that from the recording. So, um, but in every human story, this is the thing, we're all bad guys. In every story, we are all the bad guy. Wait, 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 time. I'm, I'm not that bad. Well, we actually all are. We actually all are because we're all sinners. We all do things that are in rebellion to God. All do things that are not what God's design and desire is for us. And it's not simply that we're not good enough for God. Like somehow, like, I just be a little better. I'm going to be good enough. Like my good things outweigh my bad things. No, we're all sinners. Our problem is not that we don't know that. We all know that that part. Our problem is that we fail to understand the nature of God, which is justice, along with mercy, kindness, grace, compassion, forgiveness. Even when we're running away, right? Even when we're in rebellion, we, we forget that God's saying, yeah, but I'm trying to hook you back. I'm trying to love you back. That's, that's the, the, the problem we have. We forget that part. And so if we reject God's grace, if we reject God's forgiveness for us, God's love compels Him to let us go. If I say, God, I don't want you, He says, I love you enough to let you go. To let you have your way. 
And then he lets us suffer the consequences of our sinful ways. God loves every person, but he's not going to, you know, save a person who doesn't want to be saved by him. Go figure, go think about that. He loves you, but he's not going to force you to be saved if you don't want to be saved by him. And it's like these, you know, we've heard a few just tragic stories of this Last week, I don't really know the outcomes, but stories where people said in these fires at Northern California, I'm not leaving my house. I'm not leaving. You can't make me evacuate. I'm going to, I'm going to protect my home. And I, I think there's been some tragedies out of those moments, but you can't force someone to be saved who doesn't want to be saved. And yet God is pursuing us. If you are resisting God or if you're running from God, honestly, you are not going to enjoy a relationship with Him. Right. If you want just it's like people who like I want God close to me, but I don't want to be close to God. It's a bit like the teenager. Right. Who's mad at his parent or her parent. And yet they still want to ride to school. Ever seen that? Like they're not talking, but can I get a ride to school? Like that does happen. Right. It's this contradiction. And because we're good parents, we do that. We love them. We take them to school, but it doesn't make for a good relationship so if you here's the other side of it if you're not enjoying a good relationship with god right now if you feel like i'm not really getting out of this anything out of this god it could be that you're kind of running from him and what he has for your life now hagar had a good reason to run away for sure a victim of terrible dysfunction right she's mistreated her her own attitude was pretty bad Towards Sarai, right? She's now pregnant, like na 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 na. Like, she's got a part to play in this too. There's two sides to this very dysfunctional situation, and and she's also far from home, so she's got kind of no one around her. And you might feel like, well, I can relate to her. I can relate to to Hagar. She's been mistreated. She got the raw deal here. She's got no one around her. And I want you to know that God, just like God wanted to meet with Hagar in that story, God wants to meet with you too. He wants you to encounter Him in this story. And she did. You saw it. She had an encounter with God that changed her life. And in fact, if you read on a few chapters, in chapter 21, she encounters God again. And it's also very cool. So we know now that she has established a relationship with God. She says, oh, I've... I, the, he's the one who's seen me. God is the one who's actually seen me. I've been noticed. So, let me ask you this. Do you want a better relationship with God? Are you, are you interested in a better relationship with God? If, if you are, today's message is for you. If not, just doodle on your page and pass the time. Pretend that you're paying attention. But if you are interested in a relationship with God, this is for you. Because there's... Uh, uh, three things that I think we can draw out of this life uh, of Hagar in this situation. By the way, you know, um, someone was just our Grace Peters, who runs our church library. She was reminding me we have got um, tons of great books in our um, library, including one that sort of kind of is a retelling of Hagar's story. But if you're ever interested in some good um, reading, you know, kind of historical fiction and so on, we've got a, a library that's available for you with all these great things. But let's talk about these ways to have a better relationship 
with God. I'm going to ask you two questions. That's where the question comes today. Where are you going? But another one as well. And then an action step. So first question is this. If you want a better relationship with God, you've got to start by answering this question. Where have you come from? Hagar, where have you come from? And then he asks, where are you going? See, when God asks a question, it's never because God doesn't know the answer. God actually knows exactly where she's come from, right? Because he tells her where to go back to. God asks questions for our benefit, for our self-examination. We talked about this last week. We said there's two questions. The devil asks questions and God asks questions. The devil asks questions for our destruction. God asks questions for our correction. You need to remember that. So, where have you come from? Why would God ask this question? Well, I think because if we're going to heal or grow or mature or somehow connect with God more effectively, we need to be real about what's happened to us. We got to be honest about whether something has happened to us or something we've done. We've got to be honest about where we've come from, where we've been, what we've done, whether it's been good or bad. Maybe, well... Let me think about this. Where, where had Hagar been? Hagar had been in the place of suffering, of mistreatment, right? She'd been in the place of hurt, abuse even. It says that, that Sarah mistreated her so badly, so harshly, she finally ran away. There's probably physical mistreatment there. And it's such a, it's just complicated, right? But she was also coming from the place of her own sin, her own arrogance, her own unkindness toward her mistress. Both ways. And God asks us the same question. Where have you come from? I mean, how is your past, your upbringing, your experiences, your successes, your failures, your achievements? How have those those things kind of shaped you, molded you, made you what you are? Where have you come from? Is it from a place of grief? Is it a place from hurt and pain? Is it, have you come from a place of religious duty and legalism? Have you, have you come from a place of, of a disconnected relationship with your parents and now it's making you hard to feel like God's really a good father? Have you come from that place of, of just living selfishly and, and doing your own thing and you don't care about anybody else? Where have you come from? Because you gotta answer that question if you're gonna move into a closer relationship with God. Now, now, let's not forget, Hagar is also with child, as we like to say. She's pregnant. And in that culture, that's a sign of great blessing. It's a sign of his, his favor. So for her, it's sort of the best of times and the worst of times. On one hand, she's pregnant. She's going to have this baby. And there's this, you know, God's making these promises. He's going to be wild, but, but he's, she's going to have lots of descendants. So that's really great. And then at the, on the other hand, she's got to go back to Sarai. So it's, she's focusing on what's really bad, what's really harsh, but it's not all bad. And as you examine where you've come from, please don't miss that God has been with you there in the hard times too. Hagar was a mistreated slave, right? Tied into a relationship that was sinful and, and definitely not God's design. It was not plan, God's plan. And yet she's blessed with a child. Now it's easy to say, well, my parents didn't give me what I needed. Or I've had all these bad experiences. Or I I wasn't able to go to college. Or, you know, I just, you know, I physically couldn't do this or that. Or come up with some reason why 
things are so bad and yet we're missing that God's been with you. Hagar was blessed to have her eyes opened and see that. Where have you come from? Think about your life. Where have you come from? What's shaped you? You answer that and you'll begin, you, you're, you can begin to enlarge your relationship with God. Now there's a bigger question, the one that follows. Where have you come from? But where are you going? That's the next question. Where are you going? Hagar, where are you going? Well, her, her answer in verse 8 is kind of a non-answer. She goes, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Well, it's an answer, but it's not an answer. It's not really honest. It's not an honest answer because her location tells us, uh, you know, commentators say she was, she's, you know, verse 7 says she, that she was found on the, um, along the road to Shur. So that's heading south toward Egypt. And it's, we're already told that she was an Egyptian slave. So she's probably thinking, I'm just going to go back to Egypt where I came from. But it's kind of a non-destination, really. She doesn't really know what she's up to. If you're, if you're going to leave your place of suffering, look, it's not productive to run without a destination of something better. I don't know if you've ever had those seasons of life where you just feel yourself saying, I just, I just need a break. I just got to get away. I, I don't care where. I just got to get away. Or maybe you're like this little meme, uh, little steward here from uh, the Minions. I need a six-month vacation twice a year. <laughs> yeah, he, he's just like, I, I got to get away. I, I don't care where. I'm just going somewhere. Right? Or this, you know, I enjoy being in the mountains. I love traveling. I mean, uh, hiking, being out in the, in the woods. Um, but there's a couple kinds of hikes. I mean, this is great. This is Muir Grove in Sequoia Park. And uh, there's two kinds of hikes. There's the kind of hike where you just, you're just kind of going for a walk. It's just a loop somewhere. And there's no, like, definite destination. And you're not, like, arriving anywhere. And that's okay. But, eh. I'd rather have a hike that has a destination. You get to a lake, to a stream, to an overlook, to a viewpoint, to a grove of trees, like... Muir Grove. That's what I like. I, I, I want to go somewhere instead of just going somewhere, nowhere, escaping. And that's what Hagar was doing. I don't think she really had a good destination. I think she was just escaping. But let's assume Hagar was running to Egypt. Let's make that assumption. Now, what does Egypt mean? In the Bible, Egypt always means that place of captivity, that place of sin, that place of oppression, Right? It's not a good place. It represents disconnection from God. And if we just run away without knowing what we're up to, where we're headed, we're, there's this danger of running to Egypt, our proverbially Egypt, that place of sin and distraction and disconnection from God. That's the risk. Or running back to f- what's familiar, even if it's, if it's not good. I heard a, heard a guy being interviewed on the radio and he was talking about he come out of alcoholism and been through some other things and came to a point in his life where he, he decided the only thing he really knew how to do was drink. So he went back to that. Well, that's not really a good solution to your hard times, is it? But running away, I admit, is easier than enduring the hard work or the hard experiences that we're in. Running away is easier than facing the, the, the tough discipline of what we have to kind of overcome or work through. Now, it's not that there's never a time to move on. 
in a situation. If you read on, you're going to meet Hagar again in chapter 21. And this time, instead of running away, she's been sent away by Abraham. And again, God meets her and now her probably about 16 or 17 year old son, Ishmael. And she thinks she's going to die and God meets her again and provides for her and does not send her back. Because now she's not even welcomed back. She, But God takes care of her there in the wilderness. So let me ask the questions again. Where are you going? Where have you been? And where are you going? Are you running to a godly destination? Or are you just running away? With no real destination. When we just run away, we, we're going to miss God's help and God's care in the hard places. We get this moment in verse 9 of God's amazing kindness and His amazing grace and tenderness for Hagar. God's effectively saying, Hagar, return to that place of suffering, of hardship, but I'm going to bless you. Now this is a transforming, you know, God encounter moment for Hagar. Because she responds, you see in verse 13, she says, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. Now we all love to be noticed. We all love to be seen, right? Especially by somebody important. Do you remember as a kid, when you, you were like in a public place, like say the store or something, a grocery store, and you, you'd meet one of your teachers from school? It was an astounding thought to that, that the teacher existed outside of school. <laughs> like, this is like, wow, wow, that's, 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 that's Miss Robinson. What's she doing here? She's an actual person. And then if Miss Robinson says, oh, hi, Brian, nice to see you. Is this your mom? Oh, you just feel like a million dollars. Like, she noticed me. I've been seen. Remember that? That's a pretty special experience as a kid and that feeling never goes away it never goes away you know uh cory and i run the run the thursday morning men's group at starbucks and one of our you know pastors in town he's like pastor of the biggest church in town and he's often there and like and he'll pop by and say hi to us like he noticed us we were seen by somebody really important feels good doesn't it that never goes away well, what if you had the conviction that God sees you? God, the creator of all things, the, all, the Almighty, He sees you and He loves you. If you really had that conviction that God sees me, do you feel like you could deal better with your difficulties, cope better in your hard relationships, manage your overwhelming schedule? If you really knew that God sees me, do you feel like that would help in all the other bits and pieces of life? If you could say, God sees me, because he does, he really does. And we need to answer where we come from, where we're going. And then we have to do this. We need to seek the one who sees you. Seek the one who sees you. Now, God did not say, Hagar, you've had it rough. You have had it rough. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take away all your problems. I'm going to put you on a couple weeks cruise. Um, we're just going to kind of turn all your fortunes around and things are just going to get easy. Nope. Nope. Quite the opposite. Sends her back into the hardship. 
Go back, he says, and I'll take care of you in the suffering. I'm going to prosper you with many descendants. That's the promise. It's actually amazing when you think about it, especially in that context, in that culture, that God makes this promise to Hagar, a woman who is a slave from Egypt, and God's communicating, speaking to her and loving her. It's a little bit of a reminder, those of you who know in the New Testament, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman, the rejected woman at the well. It was only now in a relationship with God that Hagar could endure those challenges. And I think she gets that. I think she gets that because she recognizes God as the God who sees her. And and like I said, chapter 21, her deliverance will come. But for now, she's got to go back to that hard place. And as you're thinking about your life, friends, look look up here. As you're thinking about what you're dealing with, what you're facing tomorrow or this week or next month, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's at work, whether it's your health, whether it's your loneliness, whether it's your, um, you know, parenting, whatever the situation it is, I want you to think about this. If God sees me, will I seek the one who sees me so that I can meet these challenges head on and deal with this situation? Because if we confess, God, you are the one who sees me, what can happen? He invites you to depend on Him in your, in your workplace where you've got too much to handle or a coworker who makes it really difficult for you or at home with toddlers or in the middle of a health crisis or in that frustrating relationship or that ongoing relentless personal struggle in, in the financial hole that you're trying to dig out of, whatever it is. God sees you. He sees you with love with grace, compassion, with blessing. It says, I want to be there with you in that struggle. Three questions today, really. We'll, we'll turn the third action step into a question. Three questions to, for you to answer to help you enlarge your relationship with God. One is, where have you come from? Second one is, where are you going? Third one is, are you seeking the one who sees you? If you've never been at a place where you can say, I know that God sees me. This is the message of grace. Josh brought it up when he introduced that song to us today. That in ourselves, we have nothing good enough for God. It's called sin. The things we do separate us from God. God knows that we're separated from Him. He desires to have a relationship with us. So He sent Jesus His Son crucified, died in our place, took all our sin upon Himself so that by trusting in Jesus, by exchanging our life for His life, we could be in relationship with God. We could be reconciled, as the Bible word, brought into alignment with God. Righteousness, right standing as ours by trusting Jesus to forgive our sins. And say, Jesus, I now follow You. I no longer follow me, I follow You. Right? That's your decision to make. God is the God who sees you. But will you, like Hagar, say, I've met the one who sees me? Just think how much different, improved your life would be if you really grasped that conviction. God sees me. God sees me. It's going to be okay. 
Let's pray together. Lord, we are in awe of your great kindness to this woman, Hagar, who it was rejected in every way and was kind of not very nice herself. And you loved her and you revealed yourself to her and you blessed her and you provided for her and you enabled her in her struggle. And God, right now I know there's people today in this room that don't really want to face this week. There's just something they've got to deal with this week and they don't want to do it. God, I ask that you would just grant them the conviction that you see them. And instead of running away, that they would run toward you and run into the, the challenges that you have for us so that you would be glorified and that we would experience your grace and care in the midst of this. Lord, we thank you for your limitless love for us. We're in awe of that. We thank you for your presence here today. We give you our praise. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.